1: Welcome, listeners, to this speaking from our hearts podcast episode. Where today I'm joined by a lady from Denmark, Gita Winter, and Gita's going to be talking to us today around help your child to sleep. So, Gita, very, very warm welcome to you, first of all.
0: Thank you very much for having me. So exciting to be here.
1: And um, I've I've watched your TED talk. Gita a couple of times. Absolutely fascinating. And I love the story how you and Brian get a very, very powerful message across by telling a story. And it, it sort of captivated me. And uh, so I want to dig down into that if I can. And um, probably we can start by you introducing us to uh, to Momo.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Momo <laughs> is a very, very special friend of mine. So special that I decided to take her on stage with me for the TED Talk. Uh, When I was a little kid, my father would read me stories at bedtime, and the way he read made the characters come alive, and they would become my friends, and I had a very vivid imagination. So, so many of the characters from the stories he read to me have become my friends, and later on, as I've become an adult, it's been easy for me to stay friends with the characters of the books I read, and Momo was introduced to me when I was about 20 the first time. It's, it's an old book from 1973 written by, by a German author called Michael Ender, who's also the, the author of The Neverending Story that many people know. Um, and she just completely spoke to me from the beginning. And as I kept reading the book as I grew older, uh, she became more and more important to me. Uh, and 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 she tells the story that I basically want to tell with the books I write as well. So I thought I would bring her on stage in Peterborough uh, at the TEDx uh, with me.
1: Amazing, yeah. I mean, just offer a slight tangent, Gita, is it usual for, for children um, generally to have what I, what I term when, when, uh, when my three were little, an imaginary friend? Is this is kind of normal? Is it part of the creative growing process? Oh, yes,
0: it is. And it's, it's very healthy for children to have imaginary friends, as some of us have had many. Right. <laughs> and if you have parents who allow you to play with your imaginary friends and play out the different parts of these different characters, uh, it's a very big help for the child. Some, some mm-hmm. parents think that it's weird or try to rationalize with the child um my parents never did so i was allowed to play with these characters in the garden or by the sea or in the forest mm. um and my own daughter has had imaginary friends for many years and and we still set the table for some of the teddy bears uh and we yeah it it's just it's so much joy and for us as adults tapping into yeah <laughs> i see you have to yeah for us as adults to tap into our inner child and 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 talk to a teddy bear or an imaginary friend who might even not even be visible at the dinner table is so much fun. So we know from psychologists that it's healthy for children to have imaginary friends, but it's also so much fun for us as parents if if we engage. And the way my father read those stories back then, when I was a little girl, I believe he 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 also knew the characters. He he. He, he became their voice in so many ways. Uh, so it's it's also about connecting to that inner child when you read stories to your children.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say when you were talking there, Geeta, about, you know, obviously I asked the question from a child-focused point of view, but isn't the reality for us, as you know, even as adults, that we have this, you know, we, we hear about, you know, in the philosophy of oneness, we hear about, obviously, the duality. And part of that duality for me is embracing that, that other side of me. Um, And and I've actually swapped that in more recent times for a character that um, was very challenged in the past called Shufflefoot because everything was so pressured, so negative, so victimized to actually release that character. You know, he's gone now to that little boy back to my childhood. And, so, I understand this whole concept. I really do understand the power of this. And, you know, whether people think it's crazy or not, I don't know. For me, it's not crazy, it's creative, and there's a big difference.
0: Oh, yeah. For me, it's actually sad to not have it. Uh, and yeah. that's the way I see it. Just before we jumped on, I was writing a post on, on Instagram about uh, me hugging a tree. And mm. I was explaining that I actually speak to my trees and my flowers and my plants and my bushes in the garden. And I know that. I might come across a little bit nuts when I write something like that. But for me, it's so real. And I was just sitting thinking, how would it be to walk around in a garden and not speaking to all of these living beings? So I just feel fortunate that I can speak to the trees and to the bushes and to the ocean and the stars and the moon. And, and in many ways, as I say in the TED Talk, I can hear the songs of the universe. And, and I I can't even, I have never, never lost that ability I, I believe all children can do this but somehow it's shut down and many adults have forgotten how to speak with nature or with fiction characters mm-hmm. or use their imagination it's not that they don't have the ability it's just that they've forgotten to use it mm-hmm. um so for me that's really sad and it's it's like i just wrote in this instagram post it, i think it's the reason for much of what we see going around on the planet right now if, if more people would speak to the trees or the oceans, we wouldn't harm nature the way we do. Uh, so it's, it's a derailing and it's a loss of imagination that is really, really sad in many ways for me. Mm. So it might come across nuts, but for me, it's, it's just a gift. It's a gift to fall in love with life with.
1: Well, whatever label <laughs> society wants to put on you, Geeta, if it's nuts, then I think you need to share that label with me because I certainly hear you and I certainly <laughs> agree with you. So, uh, yeah. Thank, we're, we're, thank
0: you for being nuts with
1: me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some would say beyond nuts with interest as well. But anyway, um, <laughs> what what made me smile there as you was talking about talking to the trees and the plants? And I can remember the outcry in the UK all years ago when Prince Charles... Uh, the heir to the throne. Um, he did the same thing, and it was like, oh, we've got a future king that's basically lost his marbles. This is worrying, yeah. and it's like, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's no,
0: not. no. I recently read an article where he also expressed the need to teach children mindfulness at school. So mm. I think he's onto something. I I think he can he can hear the songs of the universe too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about the grey men, Geeta.
0: Oh, yeah. So to, to give you some insight to the fiction story of Momo, we meet this orphan girl uh, who decides to move. She's, we're in Italy and it's a, s- a summer sunny day and she decides to move into an old theater outside a village. Um, the people want to take care of her. The people of the village come and see her and they want to adopt her. But she's like, no, I'm fine. I want to live on my own. And she becomes good friends with the, the people of the town and they come Food and water and even an old bed to uh, so she can sleep inside this old open-air theater and every time they come they chat with her and and they have a good chat and, and the children love to play with her and when she plays with them she opens up these imaginary worlds for the children so they can play together for hours in these beautiful beautiful stories where they are pirates on a ship or something like that and And everything is is very joyful and and people feel that whenever they come and talk to her they feel better afterwards so so very soon the word gets around that if somebody's feeling not well or has trouble people will say why don't you go see momo and 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 they come and chat with her and and she makes them feel better because she has this very cool superpower that we also have forgotten about in our Mm -hmm. society today. And mind you, the book was written in 1973, so it's an old book now. It's 45 years old, uh, 46 by now. Yeah, Um, so so what she does is actually just, much of what I would describe you doing right now, Paul, you're, you're listening, you're curious, you're paying attention, you listen between what I say and, and hear the words behind my words and you use the ears behind your ears to hear more you use your intuition to try to follow what I'm where I'm going and you connect to nature as we speak. All of that Momo did too and it just makes people feel very comfortable and make it makes it safe to open up just like you're gifted with. And um, so, so Momo sits with these people and she talks to them and everything is, is, everybody's having a good time until the gray men decide to come to town and persuade people to save up time for their future. So they will come to, for instance, the barber or the restaurant owner and, and convince them that it's important that we save up time for our future and that we can save it up in their time-saving bank. And as soon as they have made a deal with you, they vanish and make you believe that this time-saving idea was all of your own. And then a lot of things happen, and and everything goes uh, becomes worse and worse, and people get more stressed and ill, and don't have time to come and see Momo, even the children don't come anymore, send them to child depots as a storage so that people can save up more time for the future. And all of this goes on throughout the book. And the only, the only kid who can see through it is, is of course Momo. And, and she decides to go up against the gray man. So the gray man in, in, in my view is, uh, that's why I say in the TED talk is that Mike Lender has predicted the future when he wrote this book. In, in many ways he has seeing what we know today is our truth with stress and depression and, and illness and and how people live their lives today and it's quite scary to be frank that he was able to see that in, in 1973
1: hmm. child depots what's a child yeah. depot
0: well what's a depot what, what what's the thought of that is the way we store our children today is that we we drop them off early in the morning. Mm. We pick them up late in the afternoon. A lot of children stuffed in tiny rooms with a few teachers to take care of them. And the children don't, they're nature deprived. They they, they have to follow a, a schedule to make them good citizens and become mm. in, a, in a certain way that I call the sausage factory. Like mm. if you're not in the right shape of the sausage you're tossed away uh, in a bin you're not good enough uh, and we have to make a lot of sausages very fast so it's very easy to be a a failed uh, sausage in this sense so and that's where all the diagnosis and all the illness and all the vulnerability and fragile children come out of this sausage factory that um, I don't really like.
1: So is it okay is is it uh, right to assume Gita that a school could be a Child depot?
0: Well, if it's not handled very well, yes, it could. What's the difference between creating a forest school where children are outside in nature, playing in nature, learning from nature, learning from uh, educated Mm. adults who know how to tend to children? What's the difference from having an urban school, cramped classrooms, stressed out teachers, stressed out children, stressed out parents? It's no way to grow a child.
1: Mm. And the reason I asked that question is uh, way back in 1997, I, uh, I did a teaching degree, secondary teaching degree, and my whole way of thinking was, uh, and, and I had to smile when I heard your, your TED talk, Gita, but was, was exactly, these are just kind of factors, you know, learn the three R's, tick this box, tick SATs this, and, and it's all regimented and it's prescriptive and it's like the kids can't breathe, let them breathe. Yeah. Let them be natural. Let them be. You know, some people are academic. Some children are academic. Some aren't. But let them be who they are. But it was like I really, really struggled with this whole concept of you know this. I think you've got the the right uh, terminology. The right. Example, analogy for me, Gita, this sausage factory, we we'll pull you in one end, then five years later, we'll chuck you out the other end, we've processed you. Not very well, but at least we've processed you. Yeah. You know, and... I know. It's,
0: it's sad. It's really sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I mean I've, when I have these kind of conversations on a personal level, I always say that, you know, knowing what I know now with, you know, um, three young kids... I'd, I would, I would self-educate. I would educate the children out of mainstream, and they wouldn't be part of the system because I just find it yeah. so constraining. There's no, there's no room for them to grow.
0: No, no. But of course, there are very good schools as well. So. Yes instead of pulling out all the kids out of school, I think we have to look at the structures and, and reform the way we school children. Uh, of course, it's, it's the parents who homeschool their children have some resources to do that. But what would happen if all the very resourceful parents pull their kids out of school, create their own little groups, uh, then the kids that are stuck at the public schools don't have the more resourceful students to look up to and and to learn from, and if all the parents with a lot of resources pull their children out, then they they don't put any energy into the local schools. So I see a mass um, how do you say that when flee out of from teachers and
1: mm. and
0: kindergarten teachers uh, who don't want to be part? of the school system anymore and they come to my academy called the mum academy for teaching um, students mindfulness yoga and meditation at school they come and they become entrepreneurs instead of Mm. being teachers at the local schools and in one way it's good because they can then teach what is so necessary to teach children the education of the heart and the mind and the body and all of what we've forgotten to teach kids at school today when we take away PE and we take away arts and music and all of I don't even believe we're taking those important subjects away from the children. So these teachers, they start teaching yoga at home or at a studio, but it's, it's, it's very hard for them to reach as many children and especially those who really need this teaching from a local yoga studio in a local town. So we need to find ways to bring back these brilliant teachers and kindergarten teachers and social workers work at the schools in ways that they can breathe while they do mm. what they are so talented at doing. So that's a bit of a headache for me to figure out how they, they come to the Momo Academy to teach from the academy, but at the same time, I want, I want them back into the schools. And So we, we are working on that. Mm. It's a bit of a struggle, actually.
1: Okay, so, obviously a gentleman never asks a lady about her age. (laughs) So I'm not even going to go there. But what I am going to say, Geeta, is, I mean, you know, you're talking about Momo being in your childhood. How is she these days? Momo. Mm.
0: And she's very frustrated. Yeah? Because she, she was a fiction character that has become real. And it's much more scary to take the fiction out of the story and make it a reality. So when I was a kid, my parents taught me the difference between fiction and reality. And those imaginary worlds would grow a bit vivid for me at times. And my mother would say, it's only fiction, Gita, it's only fiction. And that's what's so scary for Momo right now is that it isn't fiction anymore. Mm-hmm. You see, the WHO is predicting stress and depression to be the biggest disease by 2030. It's not fiction anymore, it's real. And, and that's scary. And it's, it's it's scary. It was scary for her to be a character in a fiction novel, but now it's reality. It's even more scary. I, I imagine that she she has become friends with Greta Thunberg and some of the other cool kids who are trying to save the world. And I think it must be scary to be Greta at times, too.
1: The reason I ask the age question of Momo is, um, you know, she must be. How can I put this? Be very careful what you say here, Paul. She must be maturing in years. Um. Yeah, but
0: she she doesn't uh, grow older. Uh, so so that's the the privilege of being a fiction character. So she, and she doesn't really know how old she is. Right. So if you ask her how old she is, she will say, "As far as I know, I've always been around." Yeah. So, I love that answer. And yeah. it's it sort of how I feel too. It's, it's, it, it makes us tap into the age of our soul. So, us living from being born till we are 70 years old is just a fraction of our, the journey of our souls. Yeah. So, we can stay the same age for mm. a long time if we look at the broader perspective. And she doesn't really grow older. I don't think she will until she, her mission is completed, and right now it doesn't look anywhere near completed. Mm. She will. She won't rest.
1: <laughs> she doesn't grow older. She just grows wiser. No,
0: no, yeah, just yeah. wiser. Yeah,
1: mm.
0: yeah, and she. She. One of the reasons I wanted to bring her on stage is because she can be such a role model to so many teachers who dare to tap into their hearts and go that extra mile to stay at those schools and in those kindergartens. Mm. Uh, that's, And uh, I mean, every time I doubt the journey I've put myself on and every time I doubt that we can reform the schools and we can bring mindfulness and yoga and meditation into the schools and that we can have children read, med- parents read uh, child meditations to their children at bedtime. Or every time I doubt it, I just think about mama and she gives me so much power to just continue and find the momo inside of me just like I see the momo inside of you Paul and uh, we we just need to find her inside of us and connect with her and she will show us the way because she's so strong
1: what was making me smile there Gita was I wonder how she'd react if somebody bought her a say a watch or a clock for Christmas or a birthday or whatever and it's like oh, what's it what's this thing here that what is it, a time instrument oh I don't want that take that away <laughs> Give that back yeah. to the grey man.
0: Yeah, there are actually quite a few clocks in the fiction story of Momo, and and there is a, a keeper of time, uh, and that's who she actually uh, goes to see when she she tries to solve the big mystery. I won't I won't give too much of the story away <laughs> here because I want people to go and go and find it and enjoy it. But Master horror is the keeper of time, and he has a lot of clocks and. And I, I won't give away what he does with it. But there are a lot of clocks. And, of course, she, she uh, there, there is some magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying not to give it away because it's such a brilliant book. I want people to read it. Yeah. Go find it in the library.
1: Yeah, Maybe <laughs> I need to change my line of questioning then <laughs> or conversation. <laughs> yeah. Noted. I'm, I'm hearing you, Geeta. I'm hearing you. <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, I'm just wondering how – what would have happened? I love what if scenarios. This is me in my creative world now. What if? I love those two simple words. What if? And I think, what if Shufflefoot would have ever met Momo? What would have happened?
0: You have to, I don't know this character. You have to help me
1: out. Right. Shufflefoot was my alter ego, was my identity for many, many years because of the conditioning that I and the experiences that I went through as a very early child. And I'm talking from the age of eight years onwards, um, and I'm talking violence, abuse, um, addiction. So it's
0: the character inside of you? Yes. Yes. You named him, say it again. Uh, Shuffle. My Danish ear. Shuffle fork.
1: Is is there a meaning to
0: that that I don't understand?
1: Uh, Well, you imagine a character, somebody who's got a slouch demeanor and they're shuffling their feet along and it's... Okay. Oh, you don't understand, Geeta, what my problems are, a poor old yeah. me. And that was my life for many years because okay. I'd been conditioned to believe that this was, you know, this is how adults treated children because yeah. this is what I'd experienced at the end of my stepfather. Yeah. And, my, and my mother stepping in to protect and love me the way that mothers do, she then got beatings and abuse mm. for trying to protect me. Yes. Yeah. But this for me was actually normal although I actually knew it wasn't normal because whether I was blessed I don't know what I was blessed with that's not for me to say I'm not going to stick that label on on myself or anybody else but there was something very very different about me in my world very different and I know we're all unique and in as much that we are oneness I absolutely understand that that you know that paradox I I totally get that but I mean really stood out uh, as a child that uh, um was not actually normal. Um, whatever that whatever normal is, I don't know. To me, that's yet another label by society as part of you know the child depot syndrome, if you will. So there was this whole kind of thing. So for Shufflefoot for me that was a an identity that I carried from an early child into my ascellent and into through my adolescence, into my early adulthood and through Subsequent adulthood, you know, the victim. But I had that ability somewhere to snap out of it. But I couldn't sustain it because I was underpinned by deservedness and all kinds of negative, toxic beliefs. So I was, my life was very polarized. There was never any normality or gray. Uh, interesting word, gray, with the gray man. But there was any sort of middle ground in the middle eater. So I just sort of creatively flirt with the idea: what would have happened? If Shufflefort had come across Momo all those years ago, I don't know. Maybe there's a book in there.
0: But there they might. But I actually think she met a lot of these different characters. And, and, and what's so special about her uh, is that she wouldn't say much. But she would allow this character mm. to talk about how he was feeling. So if you look at some of the conversations she has throughout the book, it is, it's, it's more like a mindfulness exercise mm-hmm. of her just being present and providing a space for self-development to take place and healing. And, and just like we are so busy today that we don't listen deeply to each other anymore. We, don't, we barely listen in fact. And we we don't listen the way you and I are listening to each other right now in a normal conversation. We barely say hi to each other at the supermarket. Mama would sit at the supermarket and she would just say hi, and all of a sudden there would be a group of people around her chatting with her and just talking about the vegetables or whatever they were buying. It's not profound. It's not like she has a psychology degree. We don't even... She's a child. We don't even know how old she is. We don't know if she's attended school ever. She has no education but the wisdom of her soul. And the only, the only tool she uses is the art of listening, deep listening and being present and curious. So she, she would just ask him a lot of questions. And by hearing his own words, like we do, and I'm a, I'm a life coach as well, we, we listen, we ask questions and we listen and we ask questions and we listen and And I've seen it many times with my adult clients that all of a sudden it's like they talk and they pause and they go like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, now you get it. And I've done nothing but listening and ask a few questions. Mm. So we lend ears to each other. It's not just the ear, it's the ear behind the ear. Yeah. yeah. The depth, yeah. And we connect. We connect with each other. Mm. The most precious thing we have today is our time to give to each other. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So she would have given him some of her time.
1: <laughs> so the big question, I suppose, Geeta, is, and I always love to ask guests this, no matter what subject we're talking about, towards the end of any conversation is this, you know, when you, uh, when you leave or get ready to leave this physical plane called a body, um, in whatever time that may be, when you, when that sort of moment approaches and you're in that, you know, I suppose it's almost like the elevator, 30 seconds, 60 seconds scenario. What did it, what would be your greatest wish? What would be your greatest legacy well, as those final moments unfold, whenever that may be?
0: Uh, for me, it's, I'm already living it. I'm trying not to keep my dreams too far ahead of me because mm. I want to live them. So for me, it's, it's, Serving the children every time, and mother writes to me that my books has helped her connect to her child, helped her bring her ch- closer to her child, understand her child, connect with her child. That's that's making me smile already. We we just lost a very uh, big uh, character here in Denmark called Jesper Juhl uh, this week. He is uh, he was a psychologist and he's written brilliant books for children. And as everybody is praising him on social media right now, I was thinking to myself when I'm that age or hopefully a little older, he was 70, 72 or something like that. When I am about to pass on to heaven, I hope that I will look back and all those children will flash for my eye that I managed to serve Um, And and, and it's a constant driver for me. Every day I get up, how can I serve more children? How can I bring the wisdom that I carry to more children? How can I help more parents connect to their children? Mm -hmm. How can I help change the school systems, the kindergartens? All of what my mission is about. So it's all about serving the children. And the other day I had a conversation with our dear Wayne Dyer. I was listening to a podcast and he is also on the other side. And after the podcast, uh, I asked him, so what is my next step? How can I serve more children? How can I grow my, um, how can I scale it even more? How can I reach more children? And his answer to me was so clear, like typical Wayne Dyerish. He just said, just serve every day. Just serve more children every day. Just make sure you serve children every day. And, of course, it's easy here. I have two children on my own and they're friends. But on a broader scale, what can I do on a daily basis to serve more children?
1: Mm, fascinating. So by way of um, bringing things to a close, Gita, um, is there anything we've missed? If is, is there one kind of another message in there that you'd, you'd like to leave the listeners? Anything at all? Yeah.
0: Well, when we when we talk about the grey man and we talk about the Great Depression of our times, uh, mental depression. When we talk about the stress going on in society, we just we gotta know that there is always an alternative to to ending the day in stress and depression. Of course, depression is a little different, but if it's a a, a, you know a, a stressful day to say more than a stress disease, if it's a stressful day, you have the option to pause connect with your child before bedtime, fill your hearts with love, and end that day together in a bliss. So never ever let the sun set on a stressful parenting. Um, don't, don't yell at your child at bedtime, end the day in bliss. Is, is, and that's a choice. And those 10 minutes of, for instance, reading a child meditations, like I suggest, with your child, teaching your child to fill up their hearts with love. The way you end that day, that energy you will take into the next day. You'll wake up more happy. The whole day will begin differently. So that's what I say. All it it takes is 10 minutes at bedtime. And if if you don't have the book, all you can do, as I say in the TED Talk, is place your ear in the chest of your child and listen to that heartbeat and cherish that you still have time together, that you still have time to make everything better. You still have time to connect. There is another day tomorrow. It's just little ant steps to becoming more conscious and connecting more and and becoming the parent that in your heart you really want to be. Because all parents want to be loving parents.
1: Yeah. Wow. Simple but powerful. Right. How can can people find out more about uh, yourself, Gita, the MoMo Academy?
0: Yeah, the Momo Academy is just about to be translated to uh, English. We have, I have my first sleep course for parents training uh, online. So it's Momo, that's a dash, right? Yeah. Yes, academy.com. And then go to workshops and, and find the English courses. And otherwise, on roomforreflection.com, you can find all the links I have in English.
1: Super, thank you. Um, well... There's not much really to say after that. I mean, other than it's been fascinating to listen about mm. Momo and the, uh, you know, I can't tell, but, you know, as one that doesn't really deal in labels, um, I'm kind of true Wayne Dyer, I'm going to be paradoxical and say, I think she's an amazing mindful matriarch here's that oh she is <laughs> yeah. she is
0: and please please go find it in your library local libraries it's been translated to so many languages there are millions of copies out there so find Momo by Michael Endon, and be inspired
1: excellent so there we have it listeners the amazing insight for Gita Winter <laughs> from Denmark and and the fascinating lady that is Momo and so till next time remember whatever you do in life always walk your path with heart. Thank you, Geeta.
0: Thank you. Hearts,
1: helping everyone achieve results towards success.